0: This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM channel 371. Packer
1: and Durham. It's a Thursday. Andrea Adelson is here from ESPN.com. Mark Packer continues to be on assignment in Italy. With a day trip to Switzerland that he's already taken, and yes, he had the Wake Forest flag. Uh, Thanks again to Drew Carter and Dana Boyle for being here on Monday, and hope you enjoyed best of shows the last couple of days. From our visit visit to Amelia Island a couple of weeks ago, where we talked to a lot of coaches, we talked to a lot of administrators. Um, Commissioner Phillips was with us for a half hour as we kind of look at the current landscape in college athletics. But Andrea, you were there, you and David both, Uh, working and covering the event for ESPN.com, and a lot of things came out of it. Um, The ACC, and we had this conversation with several. Dave Doran was probably the one who might have been most emphatic. He said the alignment between coaches, athletic directors, uh, faculty athletic reps of the line. He can't remember a time, Dabo Sweeney echoed this, they can't remember a time where the league was more in form Uh, together on things as they were in Amelia Island a couple weeks ago.
0: I heard the same things, Wes, and everybody – basically gave credit to Jim Phillips for that because he came in Mm. as a new commissioner, eager to learn, right? An outsider who hasn't been inside the ACC, maybe doesn't know all of the inner workings of what the conference has been, what it wants to be. And so his number one priority when he came in beyond what he, you know, emphasizing football and all that, which is what we've heard for uh, 15 months now, was been listen and learn. And that's why he made all those campus visits. That's why he has tried to talk to football coaches as much as possible. That's why he's talked, tried to talk to every coach, basketball, all the sports mm-hmm. as much as possible. <clears throat> Get the athletic directors and the coaches together in the same room or on the same Zoom, uh, as it were, yeah. as much as possible. Because he really wanted everybody to be connected together to understand their concerns and to address some of those concerns and for everybody to just be on the same page about what the ACC needs to do moving forward in uh, as a Power Five conference with all the changes that are now happening in the NCAA structure to make sure this conference continues to be positioned the way it needs to be to have a successful future.
1: He also mentioned, I think it was in the uh, gathering he had with you guys on, uh, as I recall, Wednesday afternoon. That he's going to hire a chief revenue officer for the ACC. Is that right? I mean, he's going to bring in somebody who is strictly going to be charged with driving revenue for the membership.
0: Yes. And I think that's a great move for the ACC because Mm -hmm. all you have to do is look on paper, and these are stats and these are facts. About where the ACC ranks among the power conferences with uh, the revenues that are coming in and the finances that are coming in. It's the AC, it's the SEC, it's the Big Ten, and then it it's basically everybody else. So what does the ACC need to do to at least try and get a little bit closer? They're not gonna be able to close the gap, especially with the Big 10 that's now gonna be in line to make a ton of money with their new television contract, what the SEC is gonna be getting with their new deal with ESPN. I think we all understand and know the reality of that situation. But what are some ways that the ACC can try and generate some revenue to make it a little bit better. And we just got the financials from the ACC from the last uh, season, 2021. It was the best season ever in terms of revenues and payouts, and yet it still pales in comparison to what the SEC was able to deliver to their schools and their programs over the same time period. So that is obviously a huge concern, not just for Jim Phillips, but for all the athletic directors and all the coaches in the league, because it's exactly what we talk about with NIL when you see some of these gaps that are forming with NIL that are already existing in other places, right? What do we have to do Mm. to try and remain competitive to be able to get to a point where, okay, we can try and bring in some more money and help everybody out. So I understand why Jim is doing it. And I'm sure this is a move that folks inside the league have applauded.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because the revenue side of this is the typically the first thing people see in terms of the roadmap, to where this may be going as it relates to all the other things as you were talking about. The other issue um, in this particular uh, meeting that I thought was interesting was the discussion on the women's and men's basketball side about how can we get more teams into the NCAA tournament. I think you and I both saw <clears throat> Dan, <clears throat> Dan Gavin in attendance who was there representing certainly the men's basketball committee. Lots of discussion about the five seeds on the women's side that took place. Of course, if you're a four, you host. If you're a five, you travel. Uh, ACC had great success at Notre Dame, great success uh, with Carolina going on the road as fives and winning. Uh, But it seems basketball is also concerned about its spot in the road here a little bit, especially on the men's side with coaching transitions and the number of teams that went to postseason.
0: No question about that, but again – I think if you're one of the basketball coaches and you're in there with Dan Gavitt and you're talking about what mm. do we have to do, all you have to do is show what happened in the tournament last year. Like why were so yeah. many of the teams in the league devalued when the proof was there at the end of it that they should not have been devalued? So what does that mean for the metrics, the way these teams are judged with the the the, the, the victories and who is a tier one and who's not and how all of that plays plays out, and on the women's side of it, the one that I was upset about, and I really like don't have any skin in the game here, but just from a fairness standpoint, is the way that NC right. State was was treated. Um, that that to me still is very upsetting because they should not have been put in that situation where they're a one seed uh, going on the road to have to play in Connecticut against UConn. that, that there is no fairness anywhere involved in any of that. So I'm sure right. that was also addressed in that room as well. But from an ACC basketball standpoint, I think there has to be some reason for optimism based on what we've seen with Hubert Davis uh, taking over at North Carolina and where that program looks to be headed. Miami looks like they're on an upswing. I don't think Florida State's going to be down for very long. We'll see what John Shire does now at Duke, but it seems like they have are in great position with him moving forward. So to me, it feels like there should be reason for optimism on the basketball side, even though it may not necessarily translate that way in the way that the NCAA committee seeded some of those teams. And I'm sure that's what those coaches were talking about in that meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point there. All right. Uh, we touched on this a little bit at the top. Uh, we're going to dive deeper into this tomorrow with Andrea. Uh, and that is the three five five scheduling model that's been proposed. Apparently, uh, Dan Radakovich was with Mark and I. He said they had more than sixty models when they started. They settled on two. Both are three five five in the in the way they're structured. Um, just as a as a general thought here, Andrea, the three five five. Obviously, a week ago, the NCAA kind of allowed them. Now they can get rid of divisions if they want to. Pac-12 jumped in the pool. They're going to play the schedule they laid out, but the two best teams are going to go to play in the championship game in Vegas this year, uh, regardless of divisions and that kind of thing. The second part of this is it seems like the ACC, from a geographical perspective, has a lot of tentacles that are in play here. Uh, While people may think, okay, well, you can just get your three permanents, most every school's got an opinion about who they want to play. Um, you know, Pac and I talked about it last week. I think it's pie in the sky to think you're one of the four North Carolina schools and you think you're going to play the others. I don't think there's a chance that's happening, but it may be wrong. And Pac and I had fun with me saying, I think you're going to play this and I don't think you're going to play them. I don't know where all this ends up, but this 355 has caused a lot of, uh, I don't want to say teeth gnashing, but pause for the cause here a little bit, if you will, among fans and I think to a degree administrators.
0: Wes, I attempted to do this, and we can get into this a little bit deeper uh, tomorrow uh, on the show. I I showed everybody um, my rough attempt, and you can probably see all the eraser (laughs) marks that have happened here. This is actually my second sheet. Uh, There was another one that I had to throw out. But that, I think, just gives an idea (laughs) of the difficulty of trying to figure out Mm -hmm. who are the three. And, you know, this that I came up with is probably... What I would do as a fan who I want to see these teams play, what would make good matchups, who are the rivals, who are the teams that um, you get your popcorn out and you want to sit down and watch. If you're not a fan of those teams, by the way, what are the more appealing matchups for the ACC is, again, they look to try and expand the football brand, make football better. You want to emphasize the matchups of your better elite marquee teams moving forward. I don't know Mm -hmm. if the ACC is gonna get there uh, because you've got a lot of longstanding rivalries, you got a lot of geography, and then you've got some schools like Louisville, for example, that don't really have a lot of rivalries and don't really have a lot of geographical partners either. So when you look at a school like Louisville, what exactly do you do? And do you have to shift around some other teams to be able to make things work for Louisville so that they're getting a couple of appealing permanent matchups, right? So that to me is where the difficulty lies. And I'm not surprised that they've had 60 different types of models because there's a whole lot of different ways that you could go with all of this beyond just a 355. Um, So that to me is what is kind of holding things up a little bit because it has been an exercise for me, at least uh, of banging my head against the desk because whatever I have on this piece of paper is just what I have figured out. It's probably not gonna be the way it lands But it could be the way it landed if everybody was on the same page. So um, I do not envy Michael Strickland, who's in charge of ACC scheduling, nor that subcommittee for the work that they've Mm. had to do to get everybody corralled to say, yeah, okay, we agree on all of this.
1: Yeah, well, and don't forget, too, television partners are going to be involved in this as well, because one of the common ground goals is to not just get the two best teams to Charlotte, It's to find a way potentially to get the best possible matchups every year. And when you have three permanent opponents, it gives you a back door to maybe find a way in in each of the two years where you play a five and then you rotate to the other five to try and develop a rotation. The key element, I think, and part of the reason you haven't seen the schedule yet is because, one, the NCAA certainly had to take down the requirement, which they did. That didn't take long. But now, Andrea, you've got to plug in because a lot of these schools are structured on playing six home games, right? So how does that work with your math from the odd year to the even year when it relates to the five? Because some years you're going to play of your permanent three, one on the road, two at home, then vice versa the next year. Well, when it's vice versa the next year, you got to make sure it fits what the number needs to be for your budget on the other side. And the math here doesn't work for everybody. And that's one of the issues I think we're going to hear about. Remember where Boston College came to Clemson like three years in a row? Okay, how did that happen? Well, one was the pandemic, and then 19 and 21 were years that BC was originally scheduled to come to Clemson. Well, now take that, and again, everybody knows how me and math work here, but... The idea you have, to, you have to find a way to try and balance out the schedules as much as possible. It's not an easy task. I mean, I know when Georgia Tech Georgia Tech went back-to-back years to Virginia Tech when Virginia Tech entered the league in order to balance their home's football schedule because the ACC had expanded. That's going to happen when this goes on. The question is how many teams will be impacted – And who are they impacted by? Because the impact, who they're they're impacted by will be the teams they have to play. And maybe more importantly, where they play them.
0: And oh, by the way, there are four teams that have to worry about SEC rivals. So balancing when they get to play those home games compared. And oh, by the way, there's another factor, Notre Dame. And when are they coming on the schedule, and is that a home or a road game? So in this league, maybe more so than the Pac-12, for example, you've got those dynamics that come into play when it comes to getting those six. A lot of teams like to have seven home games um, compared to to some others because you have the SEC rival and Notre Dame that are going to be coming online. And also, you've got schools like Florida State and Miami that have bigger attendance draws for some of the marquee matchups, right? Okay, so if you're Florida State and you know you're going to play Clemson and Miami, I I feel confident that Florida State will play Clemson and Miami every year. That's probably the only thing I feel confident about at this point with what I wrote down on that piece of paper. Well, you wanna make sure that you're not playing both of them in the same year at home. You wanna get those in alternate years so that you can guarantee those big home gates that attract all your fans to come. Well, they've also got Florida. Uh, that they have to worry about. And and when that game is coming online in terms of what that all is going to look like, and and maybe the way it's arranged right now, because they already play those three teams, will work itself out. But then figuring out the other Mm. pieces in there with who is left for them to play is going to be part of that scheduling magic that I I think Michael Strickland can wave his magic wand and say, okay, this is what it's going to be. Um, you know, but in all yeah. seriousness, you're absolutely right. There are dynamics in this conference that are at play that other leagues don't have to worry about.
1: Right. And I'll, I'll finish on this and we'll go to break. And Bubba Cunningham, in case you missed it coming up, it's a lot easier in the Pac-12. Simplistically, because yes. Arizona's going to play Arizona State. Cal and Stanford are going to play. Oregon Oregon State are going to play. Washington and Washington State are going to play. Colorado and Utah don't have a rivalry. They're in the league, okay? Uh, Southern Cal, UCLA are going to play. It's just that simple. It's the one game in the Pac-12 they have to worry about. One game for each school. That's it. And Oregon and, I mean, uh, Colorado and Utah really don't have a game. They, they give a flip whether they play or not, I don't think. So, anyway, that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, when we come back, a visit Mark and I had last week with Carolina's Bubba Cunningham. Great conversation as it always is and very revealing about where we are in college athletics and it's next on ACC Network. This is the Packer and Durham podcast. Packer and Durham on a uh, Thursday, Andrea Adelson is here. Uh, great to have you for the next couple of days with us. Packer is still in Italy check it out on social media after he said he wasn't going on the grid, uh, which is a whole nother story for when he comes back. Um, real quick, before we get to this Bubba Cunningham interview, I want to give props to Mark Blauschen, who for years worked covering college sports for the Boston Globe, as you remember, Andrea, now works for Fans Nation, which is a spinoff of Sports Illustrated. Uh, he reported yesterday uh, that – uh, one of the names involved in the search for a successor to Pat Kraft at Boston College is former Miami Athletic Director Blake James and Army Athletic Director Mike Buddy, who not only was the AD at Furman, but has a tremendous tie to Wake Forest. He worked for many years for Ron Wellman on his staff. So uh, two guys with ACC experience apparently, according to sources, are close to being uh, regarded as finalists for the, uh, for the Boston College job. All that being said, our visit with Bubba Cunningham from last week on Packer and Durham, uh, insightful uh, and lengthy, but you're going to get it all here. And we started by asking Bubba if he feels like he's in the best possible place right now with Carolina Athletics, given the volatility of name, image, and likeness.
2: I don't feel like we're in great shape. I I feel like we're trying to navigate new space like everyone else. And uh, some of the things we could anticipate, some of the things that uh, happened, we had no idea were coming. So I think our students have done an outstanding job. Our coaches have done a great job and the compliance staff in trying to facilitate uh, answers in a very uh, unsettled area, something that we don't know, you know, we have any history of doing before. And so I think we're, we're in good shape to navigate that space and provide uh, as much information and clarity as we can, given the state that we're in. I think Bubba, there's, a, there's a lot to do going forward.
3: Bubba, uh, after Amelia Island ended last week and you're flying back on American Airlines, you and Tina, and like I said earlier, I knew we were in good shape when I saw you two get on board. Uh, what was the one thing... You learned the most about last week where you said, all right, we've got some direction, we've got some clearance, we kind of have some guidance, and I feel that everybody in the room's on the same page. And there may be multiple answers to this question, but what do you feel the best about after leaving Amelia Allen that maybe before you got there, it was still a bit cloudy?
2: Well, I think everyone really felt good about our league. You know, we had the longest meeting we've ever had with our football coaches. And we met for two, two and a half hours the very first day, talked about scheduling, talked about NIL, talked about all the different rules that are affecting college football. And I thought that was time really well spent. And then we had another hour meeting with the following day. We had an hour with the basketball coaches. We had an hour with the women's basketball coaches and each of them had a few different issues that were really important to them. And I think that's what really, I came away feeling so good about our league because our coaches are so engaged and we're so engaged with them. And then the other thing that we were able to do while we were down there is we had an hour with our presidents and CEOs. And so it it was the first time they have met with all the athletic directors. They were on Zoom, we were in person. And I think as a league, we got on the same page. You know we're talking about a very turbulent time in college athletics there we had consensus principles we have as a league you know we want to make sure that education is in the primacy of what we do health and safety is important opportunities and equity is extremely important but then when you get to recruiting and fair play in this nio area and transfer portal in the concept of pay per player what does that look like going forward in the sustainability of college athletics as we move what do those three things look like? They're going to be very, very different. And it was the first time all of us got in the room and said, okay, what do we think that looks like? We don't really know what the answer is, but at least we're having the conversation to say it will be different and we need to be thinking about how to best serve our students in this new space.
1: You know, you're not the first, you're, you're the first athletic director we've talked to post Amelia Allen that told us about the collaborative nature of your meetings. I think we heard from, what, football coaches, Mark? I remember Dabo Sweeney in particular telling us he never felt better aligned with his peers in the head coach's room for football. Uh, Bubba, I don't want to qualify this league as up on a pedestal away from everybody else because I know that it's going to take everybody to get this sorted out but does this feel like there's been a major breakthrough in teamwork here again, almost like the pandemic when you just knew you had to find a way? Now we know we got to find a way again to kind of calm the waters
2: here? Yeah, I think you're right. It's, It's very unsettling for all of us, but I think all of us having a conversation and talking about it makes it a lot better. You know, all of us are uncomfortable because it's new uh and we try not to be the old grumpy guy in the room say hey it's not what it used to be of course it's not because everything is different and we're trying to navigate this new space so I, I, I just think that this communication, being on the same page. I think Jim Phillips' leadership is outstanding. We have an awful lot of committees and subcommittees, and you know that sounds really formal. But the best thing about it is we talk on a regular basis, so all the issues are known to each other. We don't have all the answers, and we have to work through committees to try to move things in a in a direction that may be helpful to us. But having the discussion on a regular basis means that we understand what the coaches are going through, and we're trying to help them with solutions and trying to explain that nationally and what that might look like um, as we move forward. You know, one of the things that happened nationally that, uh, you know, gave us an opportunity to at least talk about, you know, one division instead of two. Now Mm -hmm. that the council has passed that, that opens up a discussion that it's not theoretical anymore. It's pretty practical and say, okay, if we want to do this, this is how we can go about doing it.
3: Well, that was going to be my next question. The Pac-12 this week, it did not take long for George Kleckhoff yeah. to say, listen, we're going to have our two best teams play for a conference championship. I know that was a huge conversation piece last week in Amelia Island. Do you get a sense, again, you're allowed to change your mind, obviously, but do you get a sense that the ACC is probably going to follow that path based on conversation?
2: Well, I don't know if that's a a definite answer that we're going to follow that path. I I think there are some people that still like the divisions. I think there are some that, you know, hey, I can win the Coastal, I can win the Atlantic. And so you do have, quote unquote, a couple of winners as opposed to getting to the championship and only one team winning. But during the pandemic, when we, you know, we didn't play a non-conference schedule, we did go to a single division and Notre Dame ended up playing Clemson in the ACC championship game. And I think all of us said, oh, that was a pretty good outcome. And so I I (laughs) think... that really opened up our eyes to looking at that possibility so as we've joked about before you know I, i've been in the league 10 years now and if we have three meetings a year that's 30 meetings i'd say 27 or 28 of those meetings we talked about nine games eight games one division <laughs> two divisions changing the divisions and so that's just what we do and at some point we will make a change
1: okay well pastor told us he'd like to play 28 conference basketball games you want
2: to tackle that one for us while you're here Oh, my gosh. I, I personally think that, I personally, and boy, did I, I, did I get some questions in the, uh, with the basketball coaches about why the ACC only got five teams in the I, tournament, and we ended up with the best record in the tournament. So playing 20 games I think actually hurt us a little bit this year. Um, I do think some of our non-conference scheduling, um, was was impactful, and I think having two fewer non-conference games hurt us a little bit. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of playing more games. I, I have to disagree with Josh on that one.
1: Okay, I want to I go bigger picture here. You've got some colleagues in this nation that have come out and made some fairly literal statements about the industry. Jack Swarbrick telling Pat Forty he thinks we're in a very, very difficult situation. Gene Smith, who I know you've been on committees with, has said that he thinks – The college football playoff ought to run major college football and ought to run, quite frankly, the power conferences. That's a possibility. Do you subscribe to that kind of logic? And and I got to be honest with you, Bubba, it makes a lot of sense to me when I hear that maybe the commissioners and the CFP and Jack Swarbrick can all get in the same room. I feel like we could streamline things a little more efficiently for sure.
2: I think you're right. You know, college athletics has been built on football, quite frankly. I mean, the NCAA was created for the health and safety of student-athletes over 100 years ago. So this is just another iteration. We used to have one division at the NCAA. Then we went to three divisions. Then we subdivided Division One into three. Uh, We've had the we had the bull system. We had the alliance. We had the BCS now We have the college football playoff the administration and management of college football and college athletics has been changing over time Not to mention the fact that nationally we have a lot of uh, new things happening we have a very pro union Uh, executive branch in government with with President Biden, and he's controlling the NLRB. That may lead us into a different direction. The Supreme Court, the judicial system, the Supreme Court has ruled that we're in violation of antitrust and that we have to change the way we operate. And then the legislative branch of the government is very pro-student right now. And so they're gonna push us into a different direction. Meanwhile, we have Title IX that we have to worry about and we're violating antitrust. So all of those things lead you to a a situation where you say, we need to manage this differently. Should we carve football out and manage it totally separate? That would leave basketball and division one in the tournament, which subsidizes the rest of the NCAA, which I think makes sense, but I think a very a significant look into football and what's best for the sport, what's best for the students that are participating, and how do we make sure that we stay equitable, I think we need to examine that. I don't think any of the folks that you mentioned have the answer yet, but I think they're raising the absolute right questions.
3: Um, Bubba, we just saw really an ugly episode for college athletics. Uh, unveil itself this week with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and it's not an ACC problem but really it's a college sports issue Um, give me some positives about name image and likeness that maybe don't get the headlines while we're all sitting here talking about who's paying who and all that kind of stuff I mean because you got a front row seat here give me some positives from all of this based on the last 10 and a half
2: 11 months Well, the positives, uh, it it creates opportunities for every one of our student athletes. And as you know, we've had a couple of student athletes been extraordinary in their sport, whether it's um, Jamie Ortega in women's lacrosse, or aaron mattson in field hockey and uh or chris gray in men's lacrosse many of our olympic sport athletes the taught the best ones have done very very well in the nil space because they have gotten endorsements by companies or they're endorsing products that uh, they use and play with A lot of our students are running camps and clinics on their own in their hometown, and then we have a lot of individual students that are incredible influencers on social media, and they have gotten a lot of benefit from NIL. They've learned about taxes, they've learned about planning, (laughs) they've learned about organizing their time. All of those things that we had hoped would happen, they happened as well. But yes, the last 24, 48 hours has been very disappointing to see uh, to see the disagreement and the disparagement of each other. That, that's not healthy for anybody and I think everyone feels badly about that. We're, we have to get those things under control but we said from the very beginning NIL for the individual student and for our current student athletes can work and will work. The trouble that we have is recruiting we don't draft like the pro leagues do and we don't have a salary cap and we don't have contracts and so that makes us different from the pro leagues yet we're trying to be this modified professional system embedded within the academy and it there are really difficult spots and boy the last 48 hours really showed some of the worst of the worst
1: and pack brings up the stat all the time about the number of kids that hit the portal that don't find a landing spot baba And for people at my age, I guess, mid-50s, that's the heartbreaking aspect of this because there is – and you know this because you and I have had the scholarship discussion through the pandemic. We've talked about all that. I know that fundraising and that scholarship money is still critical to any lifeblood of any school in the country, especially those ACC institutions. But it is heartbreaking to know that there's snap judgments being made about a portal where a young woman or a young man do not land and continue their education. That that number has got to stop. We've got to find a way to get that number down. And we can do that without a lot of stuff going on.
2: It is disappointing. And, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, we, we've tried to make rules over the last 25 or 30 years that improved graduation rates. We had a whole academic committee that was designed to do that. We created APR. We created G- GSR. Mm -hmm. to move kids, progress toward degree. We had those situations where somebody was in college for five years and didn't graduate. We said, we have to fix that. That's when those metrics went into place. And so we've done that. The reason you couldn't transfer and be immediately eligible was because we knew that if you stay at one school longer, you have a better chance of graduating. We've lost sight of the fact that that's why these rules were in place. What we're saying now is freedom of movement. If a coach can leave to go to another job, the student should be able to leave as well. And there's merit to that as well, but the times have changed. The economics of college athletics has changed. So what we're trying to do is figure out in this economic environment, we wanna give students the right to move and do things, but we know that there's gonna be a downside of doing that. Our graduation rates will decrease when students start to transfer more. The transferable hours, the courses available, the majors available, all those are gonna limit what a student could do, not to mention the fact that there may not be a spot because the uh, the school they'd like to go to isn't available to them. And once they enter the portal, the school that they're leaving, they've taken away the scholarship and given it to someone else. So that's the downside of it. But the economics behind NIL and other things that are happening in the market may be beneficial in a different way. So we'll have more money to have programs where you can finish your degree after you leave. We'll have better healthcare programs. All of those are a benefit of the economics, but there's also a downside to it.
1: I tell you what, Andrea, you learn something every time you talk to Bubba Cunningham. I mean, I just think the guy is smart as a whip and and puts so many things that seem complicated when you first hear them into pretty clear perspective.
0: No question about that. It's been great to get to cover Bubba and get to know him since he's been in league. I think it's been almost 10 years now, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly his insight into what's happening right now. The fact that he's so well-respected in the AD community. He's been on NCAA committee. Um, He is somebody that I think we all can rely on for some really good perspective and information on where we are, but also where we need to go.
1: There you go. When we come back, we'll talk more about Bubba Cunningham's comments and kind of look ahead a little bit. And Rhett Louder, the ACC Pitcher of the Year, is uh, about moments away as well from Wake Forest. Look forward to catching up with him on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Andrea Adelson's here the next couple days. Mark continues his uh, tour of Western Europe, Uh, basically Italy. Um, Bubba Cunningham with us and we just replayed the interview from last week Andrea here's here's a a comment and reaction I want to get from you on this of all the things facing the Atlantic Coast Conference and college athletics for that matter the fact that this group of athletic directors and yes there's been some turnover Vince Tyree obviously Pat Kraft now has moved on to Penn State as the athletic director it seems like it really does seem like that this group of athletic directors is, for the time being, and that's the way we have to talk in college athletics, the next six, eight years, it feels like this this group right here is as unified as the ACC has had in a long time because of the circumstances they've all been dealt roughly at the same time.
0: No question. And they have no choice, really. they They have to be unified right now because mm-hmm. of where things are in the landscape and where things are headed in the landscape. And we talked about this in the previous segment in terms of where the ACC fits among the Power Five conferences, some of the restructuring we've seen in other conferences, some of the questions that have come up about, well, I don't know, is the ACC gonna get poached? Are there gonna be super conferences? The ACC is locked in together right now uh, because of what the contracts say, but also because there has to be this collective vision of what are we gonna do together to be able to enhance where the league is, but also be able to sit here and take a stand on some of the issues that the entire college football landscape and collegiate landscape is facing right now. It doesn't do anybody any good if people are fractured and off doing their own thing. The ACC absolutely has to be on the same page moving forward with where things are and where things are headed, not just with football or basketball, but in terms of NIL The Alston ruling and all the things that are going to be coming down the pike, the NCAA Transformation Committee going to be a new NCAA president at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. It it doesn't really help anybody if you've got voices in the room uh, who are pulling in a different direction.
1: That's a good point. Uh, The other part about this is there's they have more time, right? I mean, well, the Big Ten's getting ready to announce the details of their new television deal. We know the Southeastern Conference has certainly their turn at the wheel. Big 12, Pac-12, 12, all that stuff will take care of itself kind of seemingly along the way. But the ACC has this long landscape in front of the Mandra that not many other leagues have. Yes, problematic in certain issues, helpful in others, though, I think.
0: That's exactly the point a coach made to me while we were in Amelia Island when I was talking about all these issues that the league is facing in terms of the finances and the revenues and trying to enhance football and trying to make sure you're coming up with the types of matchups that are good for TV. This coach said to me, all these things that you're telling me that are kind of holding the league back, so to speak, with being tied in through 2036 together with the grant of rights to this coach He said, that's what's helping us because we have to work together. We have to be united. We know that nobody's going anywhere anytime soon because it would be too cost prohibitive to sit here and start making moves to get to different conferences. So for that reason in particular, while it may seem hurtful and it is on the financial part of it and the revenue aspect of it, they know that there is no other choice. They all have to be together, and so therefore, I think that's informing a lot of the decisions about what they're going to be doing moving forward with football scheduling. As we talked about before, getting a chief revenue officer, um, trying to find different ways to make football more prominent with a college football playoff era, trying to get multiple teams in the playoff. There are a whole lot of things that are on the table for the conference, and so getting everybody together, we talked about all the meetings they're having together, that's what the league needs right now.
1: Yeah, good stuff. All right, when we come back, uh, we go to Charlotte, and we're going to visit with the ACC's Pitcher of the Year when we return on today's edition of Packer and Durham. Rhett Lauder made his way from Albemarle, North Carolina, to Winston-Salem and became the first Wake Forest pitcher ever to be the ACC's top hurler. We will talk to Rhett Lauder, who's got a lot of other interesting things besides the ability to strike people out, next. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. All right, welcome back. Packer and Durham on a Thursday. Uh, Andrea, I don't know that you know this, but I'm going to share this with you. Red Louder is going to join us here in seconds. He's the pitcher of the year in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, He is from Albemarle, North Carolina which I guess technically is kind of a distant suburb of Charlotte. He went to North Stanley High School. And Rhett joins us from Charlotte, by the way, uh, because Wake Forest plays tomorrow against Miami in the ACC uh, Baseball Championship. Rhett, congratulations on being the ACC's Pitcher of the Year. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you guys so much. Good to be here. I'm good. Uh, All right. Real quick question. Okay, you're from Albemarle, right? But you went to North Stanley High School, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Also from Albemarle of ACC influence. You ready, Andrea? Um, I'm ready. Okay. NC State running back T.A. McClendon. Okay. My dad... And Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean, are all Albemarle natives. I, that's correct, right, Rhett? That's, they're, they're all Albemarle. Well, my dad is definitely Albemarle. T.A. And, <laughs> and Brandon Bean are Albemarle, too. So you would be like the fourth big Albemarleite to have some sort of ACC connection, right? How's that?
4: Yeah, I knew two of those. But yeah, that's good to know about the third.
1: The third one? The third one would be yeah. my dad. You wouldn't know who my dad is, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, that would be the one, right one.
1: Okay, good. That's fine. And, and really, at Wake Forest, that's no big deal. Um, okay. So, Rhett, first of all, you're the first, and this is hard to believe, in all honesty, you're the first pitcher from Wake Forest University to be the ACC Pitcher of the Year. So, we'll get to that in a moment. How did you find out you were the Pitcher of the Year in the ACC?
4: Well, so um, I got a phone call a couple days ago, probably like a day before it was announced, and they they told me, but I didn't know it was I was the first one ever until like a day later, like after it was announced, I had no idea. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? So, yeah, it's
0: pretty crazy. Yes. Yeah. When when you find out you're the first ever, what is going through your head?
4: I mean, I not, not a ton's going through my head. I was just kind of shocked, like I said, and pretty honored. Like, I was pretty surprised, like you said, that I was the first one ever from Wake Forest because we've had some good pitchers come through here. But, you know, I mean, I'm definitely honored to be the first.
1: Okay. You're the only guy, though, in the ACC who is top 10 in ERA, uh, innings pitched, and strikeouts. You've also got 10 wins. I mean that that's pretty good that's pretty good to be the pitcher of the year though, Rhett, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good year, but you know, I credit a lot of it too, that our teammates and our guys that we've all like kinda come together this year and I couldn't do it definitely without my catcher right there and the guys behind me, so
0: Rhett, when you came into the season, yeah, when you came into the season, Rhett, what types of expectations did you have for yourself? And what allowed you to get to this point where you're the pitcher of the year?
4: You know, I didn't really have many expectations just because, like, last year was such a a wild year. We played an only conference schedule, and I was a true freshman. So, like, I knew I made some improvements, but I didn't really know how they translated to this year, quite honestly. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just wanted to improve on what I did last year. I got a lot of experience um, with the ups and downs, kind of got the – conference play feel so i I felt like i had a step ahead of everyone so i knew i definitely was going to benefit from everything i went through last year but you know i didn't know exactly i was like oh yeah i'm just that much better this year
1: did is it one of those things where a year ago you just had to say okay i had some bright spots right i mean last season you won three of your last five or three of your last four i think I mean, you you kind of finished strong. I'm not familiar exactly with the specifics of what you did last summer or what you were able to do last summer. But did you just kind of use it as a building block to say, okay, I feel a little better going into my sophomore year because you've had a great sophomore year. But did last year help at all? Were there any kind of positives
4: to to send you this season? Oh, last year, I credit that to why I got so good this year. It's like whether it's learning how to – like, pitching the games. And, like, as you said, the end of my uh, season was pretty pretty strong. But, like, also, like, when I didn't do so good, that's kind of where I learned the most. So, I have guys on my teams now. Josh Hart was a freshman and Teddy McGraw. Was his first time pitching on the weekend. And I told him, yeah, like, you're going to go through some struggles like I did last year. Hopefully not as many as I did last year. But um, And then you just have to, to be able to learn from it. And then next year you'll be better off for it.
0: Rhett, what were some of those learning lessons from last season that you applied to allow yourself to be better this year?
4: Well, yeah, so um, last year I kind of realized that every team was pretty good. So this is a tough conference, and every week is going to be a struggle. And so I know I'm, I'm going to get beat up sometimes, but I can't, I can't fold. i got to go back out there, and, and no one really cares how I react. It's just i got to keep going back out there and keep pitching.
1: All right, we're going to get to some of the other things beyond baseball here in just a second. Um, I, in the last few years, I've heard a lot about the pitching lab at Wake Forest, the one you guys have near the Couch Ballpark. There, tell me about the pitching lab and what that meant to you, and, and how's that helped your improvement? Because I know Coach Walters proud of it, and all the uh, all the equipment and all the analysis you get out of it.
4: Oh no, it's awesome. There's anything you could ever want in there. And it's for some guys and it's for not, not for some guys, you know, it's, it's really what you want to get out of it. Our, our coaching staff and our pitching lab coordinator and all our staff in the lab is really good at handling all that. And if you want to be a part of that process, you can learn all you want. But if you just want to sit back and have them tell you what you need to get better at, they'll do that too. So it's, it's kind of whatever you want to get out of you can. I, I eat up all that stuff. I eat up all the data and everything. <laughs>
0: Uh, selection day is coming up. Just wondering where the team is going to be watching and how you guys go about preparing for the NCAA tournament.
4: I haven't really heard a ton where we'll be watching from and everything, but, you know, we're just excited <laughs> hopefully to uh, play, keep going like win Friday, go on a run and see where it takes us hmm. will be ready.
1: What is, yeah, what's pool play like, Red? Because Andrea and I were talking about this at the top. We were talking about, you know, here's a scenario where you guys know you're playing tomorrow, but at the same time in pool play, once somebody gets to two and zero, things get kind of decided. Uh, so you play tomorrow. Is it the chance to improve, just the chance to go through that process, and does it take any of the of the luster of the tournament away from your participation in it?
4: You know, it's super. It's super cool to be here um, in Charlotte and play, no matter what. Like last year, we didn't get the chance to be here, so I think we all there's only four guys on our roster that have ever played an ACC tournament. So I don't think any of us are not going to try and go out there and and win this game. You know, we try and win every game we play and then try to get hot for the regionals. I don't think, I don't think it takes away from from what we're trying to do at all.
0: All right. I'm going to try and address the elephant in the room here, Rhett. Your hair is pulled back. And I was really (laughs) hoping to see the full length and breadth of that incredible hair, which is way better than mine. Um, And that I think people notice when they see you pitch beyond your outstanding pitching, right? Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the hair um, and whether you feel like this is a, a signature look
4: for you? yeah i mean the hair has been there for a while you can look back to my high school pictures and it's been there it kind of all started everyone asked me this question but it kind of just started because i did not like getting haircuts back in the day i always got haircuts and they never i thought they looked horrible so i was just like all right i'm just not gonna cut it and then it got long and then i've just kept it here since
1: i want to tell you don't cut it if it's working man i'm just gonna be honest (laughs) with you let it go. Just let it happen because good for you. That's, That's what right. I would say. Now, the, the other thing I would follow up with this is I understand there's some art in your life. You you like to draw and get into – I mean, tell me about that and how that developed.
4: Yeah, so um, my brother was actually like kind of an artist before me. and Obviously, like every little younger brother, you kind of just want to do what your older brother does. So I started, started doing a little art freshman year of high school, got into it. Then um, I finally just like I took every art class I could get my hands on in, in high school. So I, I I kind of fell in love with it. I haven't been able to do it much recently because I get a little busy. But um, no, it's definitely painting, drawing, whatever, you name it. Hmm. Pretty solid. What is
0: your favorite? Pretty piece? solid.
4: Yeah. Um, probably that oil painting of the girl with the flower right there that was just shown That's probably my favorite one. It was Mm. original. I sold I sold it to someone in my family. So it's probably it's probably up there.
1: I would uh I would say this too. Some people have N I L. You got legitimate (laughs) products here, right? I mean you're you're doing your thing. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I hope they pay by the way, I hope they paid top dollar. For the fam- I hope the family <laughs> member paid top dollar. Now, I mean, you know, don't don't give them the discount, right? Yeah, uh,
4: I got, I got well off. Okay, uh, I am
1: compelled by law. This is your this is your first appearance with us, correct? That you've never been on the show before, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so by law, I have to ask this question. I feel, Andrea, I feel. Uh, like this is a special moment here for me because I've never asked the traditional question. Are you ready, Rhett? Yep. All right. In your time at Wake Forest, what has been your hardest class?
4: (sighs) Uh, So, yeah, none of of the classes are really easy there, but um, I'd say probably my toughest class was the first year seminar I took. It was called Great American Novels. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah first year seminar is supposed to be kind of like some people are like oh yeah this is going to be easy to settle into college mine has been my toughest class so far i read probably like seven <laughs> books and just wrote so many papers on them and it was it was definitely tough to do during the season
1: yeah that's why it's called welcome to that's why it's called welcome to college it's a seminar class <laughs> read and write right yeah. <laughs> tell you what hey uh, good luck the rest of the way. Congratulations on the award, and uh, thank you guys so much. We enjoyed having you with us. Be well, okay? Thank you, you guys too. All right, Rhett Louder, Pride Albemarle, North Carolina. When we come back, we go to the Power Hour. We'll look more at these SP Plus rankings and more for the ACC. Adam Rittenberg, Danny Graves, still to come in the Power Hour next on ACCN.
0: Tune in to Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.